the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It's an NBA show. The regular season is now complete. There are some discussions on MVPs, play-in teams, teams that didn't make the postseason, and of course, the upcoming matchups and the offseason for those that do, do not apply here. Uh, going to be somewhat brief with this segment because... As you might know, we now have an NBA Next segment featuring Keith Smith, our resident NBA expert. I imagine he's going to get pretty nitty and gritty with some of these futures. I know he's uh, d- diving in deep to offseason payrolls and cap situations for all of the teams. But uh, I want to at least give the greatest hits here and, uh, and, and go from there. Let's bring in Scott Allen and discuss... MVP candidates, their contractual statuses, some teams that we love heading here over the next couple of weeks, their payrolls over the last couple of months, and where many of these teams may be going right now and in the immediate future. Scott, welcome to the show. I'll let you pick. You want to start with teams or MVP candidates? Because I think both are at least worth discussing off the top here in terms of where we're headed over the next couple of weeks. Uh, let's go with the MVP candidates. Yeah, there's a lot. Look, it seems like it's wrapped up. It's been wrapped up. I think Doc Rivers kind of put his flag in the in the in the dirt last week when Joel had the game that he had. And by the way, Vegas agrees. Uh, Joel Embiid headed into yesterday was a minus one thousand bet to win the MVP. So I don't think it's about who's going to win. I just think it's about the fact that we have these three big men that now for four straight seasons have dominated the league, dominated this MVP conversation. And I don't think they're going anywhere. Is that fair to say? That is completely fair to say. Um, you know, the way these teams are constructed, the way that these these players have adapted, it's going to be these three for the foreseeable future. I agree. And uh, look, one of the things that I'm going to post a piece that just sort of breaks down these three players, Joel Embiid, uh, Nikola Jokic, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, Contractually speaking, only Giannis has a little bit of a of a question mark, right? I mean, Embiid and, and Joker, Scott, are about to start their massive extensions in the next couple of months here. They've got four and five-year deals, respectively. And then Giannis has two plus a player option, which that, that seems like a pretty hard and fast two years. I spoke to Keith Smith a little bit before this show just to, uh, just to ask him some, some deeper questions about these three guys. And I'm sure you'll get to more of this on, on Tuesday with your NBA Next show. Here's one of the things I was surprised with. And I guess I shouldn't be because he's proved us all wrong. This, this rookie extension deal for Embiid was littered with conditionals that could have de-escalated the guarantees, made it really not super easy, but easier for Philadelphia to get out of this thing. And it, it was stemming from back-to-back-to-back injuries that Embiid was suffering out of the gate and, you know, almost immediately after being drafted. It, it seems like that's gone. And Keith confirmed to me, this next, this third contract has absolutely none of that. It's fully guaranteed. There's no BS language. It's go out and win championships. We're going to pay you every dollar of this thing. Does any of that surprise you, especially with, you know, the Zion situation and so much of these injuries popping up across the league still? Kevin Durant now, LeBron James annually having injuries. Is it fair? Has he done enough Embiid to to warrant a fully guaranteed no BS contract going forward? Yeah, I I do think so. From the standpoint of an injury aspect, I, I track this every day, and he's had injuries here and there with the foot or you know or the knee, but not to the extent that he had at the beginning of his career. So I I think it is justified, especially with the way he's been playing over the last few years, including this year. Um, I I think it's just, it's what needs to happen and it's what is going to happen. Yeah. I I think enough's enough. Uh, You you really kind of draw a fine line when you start to get into those incentives. And and look, we can build in playoff and incentives and NBA championships and incentives. We're going to see more and more of those, in my opinion, going forward with this league. But anytime you try to take money away, it's going to be a hard ask because everybody, and I talked about it last week, everybody knows just how freaking well this league is doing from an international standpoint and certainly from a a TV rating standpoint and, and, and where the cap is going to go with this next CBA. So he's going to win the MVP. Uh, that doesn't do anything for him, financially speaking, right now. 
where everything's projected off 134 million next year. Uh, I, I assume you and Keith have talked about this a bit. Is that where we think it's going to land, especially now with the smoothing built into this next CBA? Um, as of right now, yes, we haven't heard any other indications right. of it being altered with the new CBA and all that going into it. So as of right now, that's the the projection. I would assume as we get closer to June, we may get a better indication of what that cap may be at. But for right now, that's what everything is being based off of. All right. So the, in this piece that I laid out, these three candidates as, in as much detail as I could over a cup of coffee, uh, just with Embiid, I've got stats. I've got you know, I've got four or five stats here. I've got the rankings of those stats across the league. I basically tried to make the case quickly for why Embiid is first and why Joker and, and Giannis are a close, but in my opinion, uh, tied for second situation for this MVP. Does anything stand out with Embiid specifically from a statistical standpoint that you think? either puts him over the edge uh, from a number standpoint or just maybe tells the story we're trying to tell here? Mm. No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think from uh, raising his team to the next level is obviously the other two do as well. But down the stretch, um, mm -hmm. I, I think Embiid has done more you know, I, I know the new situation going into next season is games played. Obviously, I, these guys all would qualify for that, I believe. Um, but I know Embiid in the past has, has gotten dinged for not having played enough games. So the fact that he pretty much had it in his mind that we're winning this, we're going to get to the title. Yeah. I think as far as the statistics go, it's like you said, splitting hairs. <laughs> they're they're so close. It, it is Scott, whether you but, take whether you yeah. take one stat away, you know, like I'm looking at the assists that you have here. You know, he's 49th in assists versus the assist for Joker is 20th and uh yeah. Giannis is 26, yeah. 26. So I, are you gonna ding and be a big man for having less assists than the other two again that that's a fine line in my book i agree and it's really tough especially with these big men to put together the whole total package but isn't that exactly why joker has two two back-to-back -back mvps here right because he wasn't yeah. just and in fact he was 18th in points this year right i mean it's because he does everything now, that's not fair to put everybody in that platform but i do have a bit of a take here with 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 Embiid. Uh, he won the scoring title, which I'm not even sure I've seen that on Twitter, right? It, it happened as of today. You know, the regular season is over. He has won the scoring title, Scott. And that's all good and well. I think that's why he was drafted, right? He was this kind of freak unicorn player who could step outside even in college and, and shoot the three and then obviously get inside and dominate like he's finally figured out how to do. Here's why I think it's, it's, a, it's an incredible stat. He won a scoring title on a team with James Harden. <laughs> okay. And 18 months ago, that would have been an impossible task for anybody, whether you're the best player in the league or not. James Harden and this Philly team have completely reinvigorated themselves around Joel Embiid. This is his team. And this is the stat that says it now. So the, the fact that everything's, you know, been built around Embiid and has actually, you know, worked, right? Because that's not something Doc Rivers has been able to do successfully is kind of change things on the fly from a roster standpoint and from a gameplay standpoint and make it work. He's been very sort of one trick pony. And I think a lot of smart people smarter than me have said this out loud. So I give Doc Rivers a little bit of credit for being able to, to successfully make this all work. I, I, do I have to give Harden credit here, Scott? Or is it simply Harden is an old man and he simply can't carry a team anymore? And Joel Embiid was, allowed the, was afforded the opportunity to step into this role. How do you read this Philly team as a whole Knowing that Embiid is the scoring champ, uh, you know, seventh in blocks, seventh in rebounds, you, you know, top 50 in assists. He did do a little bit of it all. He's third in usage, uh, which it's a high number, 37%. Everything kind of went through Embiid and he delivered. Is that how you see it? Or is this a product more of Philadelphia finally figuring some things out? I think it can be a combination of both, to be honest. Keep in mind, James Harden took a, a discount as far yeah. as his, his salary is concerned so that they can bring in some other players, sign some players on the mid-level, 
And that allowed Philadelphia to get a little bit more deeper than they would have been. Plus, they made some trades at the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it is Philadelphia doing what they needed to from a roster construction standpoint. But on the other hand, it is Embiid taking that next step of, I'm going to be the workhorse. I'm going to carry this team. But they do have players that can feed him the ball to to get to that scoring title. Yeah. So I, I think it's a combination of both. It, it's fair. I, and I do think Harden just is who he is now. I mean, he's been a 21, 22 point per game player now for four straight seasons. Uh, and I think that's okay. I think that's okay, too. especially when you've brought in the players that you have brought in to make the roster more well-rounded. You don't have to run it through hard and he doesn't have to do everything like he used to. I guess my question is this, because look, there's, there's going to be, we've already had discussion about him leaving, right? I mean, I don't know if Houston's a real thing with James Harden, but I guess this, this is what I'd like to see answered. And you listen to a lot more, uh, you know, deep dive NBA stuff than I have the chance to get to. Do you think James Harden is, is happy in this situation? Having said everything we just said, or is this a situation where he believes he's still a 30 per point player and he might go find a team that, that can make him that way again, regardless of where the money comes from? You know what I mean? Does he, is he happy in this role? Has he accepted this role? And do you believe he's going to continue on with the 76ers roster? Or is he a, a preeminent free agent right now? Well, to start, I, I can't speak for him personally, but from reading the tea leaves, I think the whole Houston situation is more and, and Keith and I are going to get into this tomorrow in our, on our pod uh, because Houston is the team that we're uh, going to be looking at. But I think Harden has probably accepted the role. But when you're a superstar like that, it's really hard to yeah. not want to be what you were in the past. And I mean, we've seen that with Russell Westbrook and, you know, James Harden is a similar situation, but I think he may have had to just swallow his pride this year. Now, if they go on and win the championship, then we might have a different conversation as far as if he wants to stay here and run it back or go to another team. Right. Uh, but Again, I think there's probably a little bit of both sides for Harden having to swallow the pride, but in the back of his mind, he knows, man, I used to do this. I used to be the guy that this all ran through, but maybe to a certain extent, he he knows that he's not that player anymore and, and Bede is the guy to run through. And if that is the reason that is going to get us deep into the playoffs and potential championship, then Maybe at this point, he's okay with that because he needs that championship in his mind. And from a statistical and you know Hall of Fame aspect, he was close in Houston, but he didn't get there. So this is his chance. It's fair. It's definitely fair. I think uh, I, I think he understands what this all is, though. You know, he's going to be 33, 34 years old here, heading here. I, I, I don't know that it's about cashing in one more time on a big level. I think he understood what he was doing this year when he took that, that haircut. Um, James Harden led the league in assists this year, Scott. Is that something you ever thought I'd, hear, I'd be saying out loud? He did it 10 years ago. He did it in 2015-16 with Houston. or 2016-17, excuse me. Uh, so it's not an, an unfathomable situation for him. But in 2022-23, James Harden, the assist leader in the NBA now that the regular season is over. Your thoughts on that? I I guess I'm not too surprised from the fact that what we just kind of talked about where he had to change his role. He has to adapt, especially on that roster, and knowing Embiid, you can feed him and feed the other pieces that they brought in on that roster. I'm not surprised that he's showing us that he is – more able to adapt to the roster than Russell Westbrook was with uh, with Washington, anyone. with the Lakers, with anyone else. So the fact that we're seeing this maturation of uh, James Harden becoming this, going and in, in being that assist leader shows that he may still have a different aspect of his game left and he can still be viable where, you know, Again, Russell Westbrook had to come off the bench and and do all of that other stuff. So I'm not I'm not overly surprised as you might be. Uh, rank these three in terms of MVP MVP this year and be Jokic, Jokic and uh, and Giannis. Yeah, yeah, it, it's hard. 
Embiid and Jokic are my one A, one B. I think Giannis is probably my my two. Okay. Um, from a narrative standpoint, I know more people are going to go towards Embiid just for a, a different name. I think what there's only been one or two times that it's been three in a row. I'd have to go double check, but I know yeah. it's come up a couple times and things I've listened to. But I think from the uh, the narrative of Philadelphia out of the gate looked atrocious. Yeah. And now we're talking about them as perennial, perennial MVP. Uh, yeah. Him as the MVP plus odds to potentially win the championship. Going from that with with what they started off with, everyone was writing them off at the beginning of the season. So the fact that they were able to turn this around, it's kind of Boston-esque where – Boston was a train wreck for a, a bunch of the beginning yeah, of months. last season. And yeah. by January, they really turned it around. We might be seeing the same kind of situation with, with Philadelphia here. So I, I think with that, I'm going to lean towards Embiid. Embiid has 47, 50, and 54 estimated salaries over the next three seasons. And then an option after that that he's most likely going to punt on and restart, reset because – the money's going to be even just more crazy at that point in time after this new CBA. And of course, the, the TV money comes in, the streaming money comes in. Uh, Joker has a very similar situation, though he has a five-year Supermax extension. So he's got one more additional salary tacked on to the back end of that. Um, he did everything right. He really did. I think this calf injury to the past three weeks or so really dampened his stardom. Uh, I also think some of it was purposeful. And by the way, uh, the one stat I really focused on in this in this piece, Scott, that I'm about to post is the usage rate, and it's fine, right? It, it it's one of those, you know, it's just another number for a lot of people, but it really does tell the story of just how important you are to any particular offense, and especially when it's over the course of an entire season. Uh, this is Joker's lowest usage rate in a long, long, long time since he became a viable starter in this league. You have to think that was intentional, right? I mean, A, part of it was Denver got a lot healthier. They haven't been this complete package at all over the past few seasons. It's one of the reasons they've stumbled in the, in the postseason. They also added, you know, a potential sixth man of the year, you know, and a seven and eight on that bench that really have contributed, you know, consistent minutes over the years or over the season here. But he, he was at a 27 and change usage rate. If we're just comparing these three guys, the usage rate of Embiid was 37%, which was third. Okay. And Giannis, Scott, Giannis had the highest usage rate since Harden in that Houston year in, in over 40% usage. I did not realize this coming into this discussion. I, you know, and I followed Giannis quite a bit. I've seen plenty of national Giannis. I did not realize that Milwaukee was relying on him this much from an offensive standpoint, because I, I thought they had good years out of Brooke Lopez, out of Drew Holiday. I know Middleton missed a lot, but uh, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of workload, right? 31 minutes, it's a lot of workload for this player right now coming into the postseason. They're the odds-on favorites, and we're going to get to that here in a few minutes. They're the odds-on favorites, and they've been the odds-on favorites for a long time, maybe, maybe all the way, maybe wire to wire. Um, do you think what Denver has done here, sort of dialing back things on Joker, uh, which of course then dialed back his production as well a little bit, do you think that this is the best chance that they've had coming into a postseason as a whole complete team? Yeah, I do. And it goes back to what you've said off the out of the gate with Denver is the health. You know, yeah. they they have had their core for the most part where in past seasons they haven't and that usage of Jokic had to be as high as it was because he they didn't have the the depth that these other teams have had so the fact that uh, they were able to lessen his usage allow other teams or other players to gel have the minutes have the reps it's it's going to help going deep into the playoffs if they can do so. I agree. And the fact that they're sixth right now for the NBA finals, I get it. You know, they're not a, they're not a sexy team to watch. They are not a, they don't look 
most nights like a championship team. You know what I mean? They they don't have that that swagger, that flair. They are very constructed, you know, kind of mm-hmm. robotic. Uh, even though you nothing, you know that that's not Jokic in any regard. He is extremely uh, versatile in what he can do on a given basis. But it just seems like, and if I I bet if I dove more into the numbers on the rest of the players on this team, specifically Murray. I bet there's been quite a bit of this, you know, over coaching, over preparing, load management, not so much in minutes, but load management in usage and load management in how they're constructing this entire marathon of a season. I, I wonder if that's going to benefit them. Look, we've seen Jamal Murray be the best player in, the, in a postseason. We've seen it. We, we've seen, it was an unbelievable run when him and Donovan Mitchell just completely went off there for a while. Um, we've seen him be an alpha, be that one guy that can do this. If he can be even 75% of that player, and I wonder if he's being held back to, to, you know, to give him a chance to be that player again right now, and then obviously Jokic can be what he can be. Is there a better one-two that you can put out there? I'm not sure there is. You know, obviously the Durant situation changes things, but I, I don't know that Denver should be 11 to 1 and 6th in total odds right now to win this whole thing. When well, that's because you've got a roster that that you know, when you've got a starting five, and we've talked about it a lot, how they've built themselves, they are a starting five plus one or two. But that's how you win series right now, right? I mean, it's it's a it's not just a one game. You don't have to look great one game. You got to look great for four. Yeah, Vegas doesn't like the Vegas has the odds for Denver because they're not sold on yeah them being able to go deep into the playoffs and longevity. win a championship. The longevity, right. They've they've been there as far as in the playoffs. However, they always have an early exit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel that the coaching staff probably had a calculated you know, usage of all these players. Let's make sure that if one player goes down, we can still – operate we have the chemistry let's not put the mileage on Jokic as we have in the past and like I said earlier I I track all these injuries and rest minutes and all that I put them in every day the Philadelphia 76ers from a combined total game standpoint were the third lowest for injury and Denver was uh, ninth lowest in the league. Oh, wow. So you're, we're talking about two teams that really did not have as many injuries or missed games because of injury management or illness or any of that other stuff. And that's so, what I meant, Scott, about it being kind of a stealthy process. Maybe something that, you know, if you weren't really paying attention, you missed it. There were there were multiple times when I'm up late watching West Coast basketball and Jokic is on the bench for an extended period of time. Uh, not because of poor play. It, it, it just, you could see it was part of the process. So it's not that he's missing the games, right? There's not a load management tag around him. It's just, we're, we're, we're going to give you, especially if another guy's going off. And I, and I think that's the point you were just about to make is it's not so much of we're going to rest a couple of guys, you know, once a week. It's, Let's feel this out. Let's let Murray have a night on a Tuesday. Let's let Bruce Brown go crazy for two weeks and make sure that we have that six guy ready whenever we need to throw him in. It's sort of what the Knicks have done with Emmanuel quickly, uh, uh, pur- purposefully because Jalen Brunson got injured. I don't think Denver had that injury that forced the hand. They had to do it by themselves on a manual process. And I think they did quite a bit of it. So you're not going to have the rest designations next to a lot of these names because most of them were active just balanced. And, and I think that balance is something they haven't brought to a postseason, whether it's availability and or the 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 ability to stay healthy, stay productive and stay and play at a high level in mid-April, something and, and it's gotta be why they've bowed out now the past three or four postseasons. Yeah, absolutely. Joker only missed a total of 10 games because of calf hamstring mm. wrist. So that, that the most games that were missed were by two players that are on minimum salary contracts. You know, even when we go and talk about Murray, who had missed so much time in the past, you know, it was either a thumb, an ankle, a knee, a little bit of injury management in there. Aaron Gordon only missed 14 games because of ribs, shoulder, ankle illness. So, you know, your your core yeah. it only missed, you know, 
10 to 15 games, whereas the guys that actually missed the most were your minimum. So again, your core is in there. And if you, like you said in, in quotes, load management during a game and not right. necessarily missing an entire game, he's at least getting the reps, but you're allowing those other players to get their reps that they wouldn't necessarily have. And, and maybe because the Denver Nuggets out of the gate were doing so well and were so high at mm-hmm. number one seed for the majority of this season, they they were able they earned, to they do, earn the opportunity. You're right, they, Scott. They I forgot that about that hot start. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So it allows them to sort of pull back a little bit, knowing, all right, we've got this buffer. Let's play these guys so that in the long run, in a era where you've got all your superstars that are, you know, they're sitting for one reason or another that, or injuries, you know, this team, I think from a 82 game standpoint, they mapped things out very well. And hopefully it will translate to them getting deep into the, you know, into the finals and, and finishing it off to prove everyone wrong. Yeah. Um, so, but again, time will, time will tell and matchups. Do you, do you believe tell. they should be third in the West right now in terms of odds? Do you think that's right? That's Phoenix, Golden State, then Denver. I think yes. there's value. I think there's value there. <laughs> there really is do. value. I, I know everyone's high on Phoenix as long as everybody is healthy and on that yeah. roster, for rightfully so. Similar to Golden State, but from a from a depth standpoint, I'm I still really like the Denver Nuggets roster from that standpoint. But from a value standpoint, yeah, third is probably good for them, especially since they're they're they are the number one seed. Usually, the number one seed is going to be the top of your, mm-hmm. your odds. So for them being third, yeah, you may want to jump on that. I, I think there's value there. Um, and again, I go I go to the two-player scenario, uh, which you know seems antiquated right now, but not really. When you're talking about a seven-game series uh, or just a series that has to be won over a couple, of, you know, a week and a half or so, it's not just going to be one player dominating every game. It's not. It can't be, right? That's just not how this game works. Even, you know, even if you are LeBron James, right? We've seen it too many times now. Phoenix has Booker and Durant. And I think on any on any given night, Scott, those two players, one of those two players will dominate the game. That's just how that team is constructed. I don't think Chris Paul can be that player at, at, at all. I don't think he's even, you know, a 20 point postseason player, in my in my opinion. So they've got two, you know, and I guess Aiton's gonna have 20 points here or there, but again, he's not gonna take over a game. We've 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 seen it too much. Golden State has do you believe they have two? Can I ask that question? Is Clay Thompson, is he a legitimate 20 to 25 point playoff scorer right now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think especially when the playoffs kick into gear, there's that, that there's that next level that players just turn on. So I, I think so. Yeah, I, I think so too. And and that's why zero people, including Vegas, have, have moved Golden State down the line, right? Um, look, from a productivity standpoint, Clay Thompson, he's not going to facilitate like this guy, but Clay Thompson and Jamal Murray are the same freaking people, Scott. They are. So I think it's neck and neck between what Golden State and what Denver can offer right now out of the West. And the reason I'm focusing on the West is it's been such an up and down flip-flop situation. And, and you know, we're going to talk Lakers here in a second. Lakers are all the way down into the play-in and projected at some point in time to be, you know, a top four Western Conference team here in this postseason run. So um, it's been all over the place. I, I do think it's close, but I think there's some value in Denver. And, and I think uh, having dove into the numbers like I did this morning, I think there's a real chance that the balance that they were afforded themselves plays out at least for one more additional playoff round than they've been used to seeing over the past couple of seasons. Um, do you remember who you picked in the preseason? <laughs> Did you pick Golden State to go back? I can't remember. I, uh, I'm gonna have to go look. I don't think so. I think you had Denver and Boston. I think I had. I think I had Denver and maybe I had Boston. I it was either Denver or Philly in my head. I think I ended up going Denver to win. I just it, wonder but... how many people had Denver. Well, 
from an odd standpoint. You know what I'm so, saying, Scott? And, and they I, I were do. the best team in the West. So how many people, if they went back to, the, to October, September, and, and thought something then, is there really a reason to change? I'm not sure there is. You know, Golden State has been so up and down. And, and of course, injuries have driven that. And Phoenix is only here because of Durant. But Durant is one bad injury. You know, he's one play away. It's been unfortunate, but he just hasn't been able to go for two months without getting injured. So I just don't know that I put all my eggs into any of those baskets, especially right. if I had originally picked Denver. Right. Yeah. So I've been tracking the odds of NBA championship odds every Friday. Mm. Nice. Since the January, uh, since June 17th, when things have come out during the se- during the uh, summer, I was on and off. But once the regular season hit every Friday, I've been tracking the highest the odds were for Denver were 24 to 1. Holy crap. The highest the odds were for Phoenix were 24 to 1 at one point. And Golden State, the highest was 17 to 1. Go, go, coming into the season, wow. Den, Denver was at uh, seven, 17 to 1. And Golden State, and this was June 17th, 17 okay. to 1. Golden State was at uh, uh, what? Uh, plus 460 Phoenix was at plus 950 so um you know obviously those fluctuations up and down but if if you got in at the high points of these teams you know great value from that standpoint that's a lot of bouncing it's a lot of bouncing and and the fact that Denver's still you know plus 11 right now plus 1100 right now it says something about where obviously there's history with them bowing out and you know Durant doesn't have that history and Golden State certainly doesn't have that history. So um, there's a lot to be offered here. Uh, Quickly, let's switch to payrolls. Do you believe in any regard that this is still a pay-to-play system? I talked about this with Dan in the baseball structure last, last, a couple weeks ago now. And, uh, you know, certainly out of the gate, it's been a value play in Major League Baseball as we tend to see early on. But, um, there is some value here in terms of what the tax payrolls versus where the standings ended up here. Certainly in terms of Memphis, a team that's not being talked about at all because of, you know, they floundered for a month and a half. John Morant's situation, there's been a bunch of injuries tacked into it, but they might have the defensive player of the year in that team. They still have John Morant. He's not going away, you know, all things considered. They're the 26th tax payroll. None of, none of the money's kicked in yet, Scott, for that team. This is one of the best values in all of sports right now. Um, and nobody's given them a, you know, a fighting chance here. It's still a story worth talking about, though, right? That they've done this. We don't see young teams get to this point, even in the standings of the regular season, very, very often, right? Uh, do you think that things can change a little bit here in terms of how we discuss the NBA? Because for a long time, for a lot of years, you and I have been on this microphone saying, if you're not paying, you are, you are literally taking yourself out of the competition. Yeah, you're right. We, we've we've talked about that. I think we're at a point where teams are paying for what could be. Mm-hmm. So obviously with the rookie extensions, Memphis, that doesn't include uh, – I don't think that includes Jaws. No, not yet. So that's next year. So that'll kick in. Uh, Sacramento Kings, they haven't really paid any of their guys yet. You know, I think, uh, what, Sabonis? um yeah, Fox. he brought over a nice deal. Yeah, Fox is on his deal right now. But you're you're right. They 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 subtracted to add. Really, is what they've done. Yeah, right. You, you know they it, they've drafted pretty well, so they have some young kids that could potentially have to get paid. But when you look at the Clippers at number one, they're the five seed. Golden State's at the two seed, or sorry, six seed with the number two tax. Lakers are the seventh with uh, seventh seed with the seventh tax. Um, even going into the East, you know, a couple teams, Philadelphia was only set 12th in tax, but they're the yeah. third seed Cleveland, 14th in tax, fourth seed. So I, I think they're, it's still a pay to play league. However, teams are trying to identify those players more efficiently now so that when they do have to pay, it is down the line so i mean yeah it's i think that's the right word scott is efficient you know if, if you look at it kind of in the reverse way that you just laid it out three of the top 10 seeds in this postseason 
had the had a twentieth or lower tax payroll this year. Uh, if I didn't do the I didn't do the work to go back, I I would guarantee you that we do not have that in any of the past three to five seasons. We just don't. Um, and the Knicks are a great example of that. I think the Kings are too. Of you're right. Uh, there's a time to strike, but if we strike a little bit every off season, eventually that's the better recipe versus what they tried to do for so many years with getting LeBron, with getting Durant, ripping it all down, trying to get all this cap space so that this one freaking top five superstar can come and save their franchise. It's just, it's just not the way to do it anymore. Teams tried to do it with Giannis. Obviously that didn't happen, but I think you're right. It's, it's about nibbling, right? It's about nibbling to get back into this league, which is what we're seeing. It's, it's tax payroll nibbling. Right. And, and, Keith and I talked about this with Detroit on NBA Next podcast, our, our first episode. We broke them down, and they're not there yet, but they're they're heading in the right direction. And if you actually go to the tax payroll and you scroll to the bottom, not that most people want to, but if you go to the bottom, you've got the Spurs, the Pacers, the Hornets, the Magic, the Pistons. I jumped yeah. over Memphis because they're they're – probably ahead of their timeline based on their roster construction and all of the guys that are going to get paid that they've already extended that hasn't hit, which is going to hit next year and the year after, you know, but the teams that I've just listed out at the bottom, they are outside of Charlotte and, you know, the Spurs to a certain extent, I think they're all heading in the right direction. So yes, they're not paying tax now, but because they've been at the bottom and they've been drafting they're eventually going to get to the middle, get to the top. And there's going to be a shuffle because if all of these drafted players actually do hit, their tax is going to go up because they're going to, all these salaries are going up because of the percentage of the cap. So it is a pay to play, but like we talked about with, with Sacramento and Memphis, they've done a, really good job of being efficient with their roster construction where they're paying the guys that they need to pay, but they're getting like Memphis is getting Steven Adams an extension on a a great deal for them. They're getting their rookie extensions. Not they're only maxing out with job, but the other guys that they're giving, they're giving extensions that are good value for them. Uh, You know, Sacramento, similar situation. So it's, the front office being very calculated with when they want to pay, when they want to, uh, you know, develop their players. When do they want to extend the players to good deals? Oklahoma City is a another great example. Yes, they're at the they're the tenth seed in the play in, but most of us had them written off from the beginning of the season. Of what is this team doing? I I remember coming on and saying what do we do with SGA? Because is this just going to be another lost year for him? And it isn't. Their their trajectory going up with the players that they've they've acquired, and then on top of it, they have all these draft picks. Yeah, it, it, it is more of a how can we spend these dollars more efficiently than let's have three necessarily three of the highest paid players on our roster and then have to fill in with minimum salary guys. And, and then if those top guys get injured, what do we do? I think it's a good conversation. I, I'm not going to go down this path, but I want to at least say this out loud so that it, you can understand why I'm trying to connect these dots right now in the middle of this playoff conversation. I just don't think there's a spending problem in the NBA, Scott. I just don't. And I think the word that you used over and over again, efficient, is the right way to say it. Teams aren't not spending in this league. They're spending efficiently. And that's perfectly fine. And if you want to talk about Golden State overspent or the Clippers are overspending and they should be reprimanded from a tax standpoint and that's what the CBA is going to do, I can't can't totally argue it, right? I'm going to argue it. And I'm sure Keith's going to do plenty of that arguing with you, you know, over the course of the next couple of weeks when those become more finalized, especially when all of these things that come out, it sounds like there's going to be six or seven things that the super tax level is going to basically shut down, which is absurd in my opinion. It's absurd. Is anybody really pissed off now the day after the regular season that Golden State did what they did? No, they're not even the favorites in the West. They're not. 
and they might get bounced in the first round, right? They, they, it's a, there's a chance of it. I just, I just don't think this team, this league has an issue in any regard from the bottom all the way up. You want to say the Spurs have been bad for four years on purpose? Great. Doesn't mean they're getting Wemmiana at all, right? It doesn't mean anything. So I, I think they've, they've already got the measures in place to mitigate a problem that they had eight to 10 years ago. And I don't think they need to go any further with it. I think they should be applauding teams like the Knicks who are in a gigantic market with a gigantic TV contract who have been all over national TV and have been terrible. And they smelled it two years ago, right? When Randall had that unbelievable year. And instead of saying, well, we're not real, like the Atlanta Hawks, right? We're not real. We're just going to continue to do what we're going to do. They continued to build. They added a $100 million point guard last year. They continued to build. When a lot of people, a lot of smart people that you and I listen to every single day, Scott, said, what the hell are they doing? You know, they, they need Durant or nothing. It's not right. That's not correct. Because the Durants of the world, A, they're not coming. You know, it's going to take a miracle situation for you to be able to get one of those players via trade or free agency. And B, I'm not so sure getting that player does the job anymore. I'm just not. I think we're moving towards a depth league and depth league needs smart spending. And I think we're seeing smart spending show up in this postseason. I really do. And by the way, what Memphis has done now back-to-back years with John, a rookie contract, it doesn't happen. Didn't happen with Tatum in Boston. Barely happened with Steph in Golden State. It doesn't happen. So. You can hate what John Morant did this year. And by the way, it probably cost him $42 million or $39 million, right? And that's Supermax, because I don't think he's going to qualify for an All-NBA right now. So he's going to get his, his slap on the wrist, financially speaking. We should be applauding John Morant. I don't think what he has done... Let's put it this way. A lot of people think Luka Doncic is better than John Morant as a whole package. One of those players is a two-seed and one of those players is home right now, getting ready to go golf. That's that's a big ass difference. That's a big ass difference. So, well, it also goes to the front office as well. I mean, yep. the, the Dallas's roster they shipped off their their depth for one player, whereas Memphis has really done a nice job of filling in the gaps and building around and yep. moving forward. Like you said, we're in a league where you yep. you can't necessarily just go after that one or two player and, and hope something sticks. Uh, you know, can I, can I, can I tack onto that real quick? Um, because I love this stuff with the NFL. I, I try to track it as much as possible. And I, you've heard me talk about, you know, you got to draft the offensive line before you get the quarterback or, you know, don't go signing three or four weapons until you know your quarterback's ready to be able to handle that situation. So that the construction process of it, <coughs> drafting Jaron Jackson Jr., in 2018 with their lottery pick was one of the most brilliant moves Memphis has made as a small market trying to get back in this conversation situation because it did two things. A, it established what they thought and has certainly borne out to be a premier young top of the league defensive player, which is, which is great for two reasons. A, you know that guy's now in your, in your pipeline. And he's going to grow into this role that's going to be as valuable as you can possibly get in the NBA. But it also didn't win them a lot of ball games, right? You're not going to throw a Jaron Jackson Jr. onto your top five and go out and win 20 more ball games because you have him, which then allowed them to be bad enough to get John Morant the next year. So by drafting defense first, then the superstar offensive player, something we talk about all the time in these other sports, Scott, it actually allowed them to be here right now because they have two complementary players that can be their own, their own animals. They're, you know, their, their own sort of superstars on their own rights without crossing wires. And there's no conversation about who can play with Luca or right. Or who can be next to Steph Curry or who can compliment LeBron James. You didn't have to do that because of the way that they constructed that, that, that their drafts, honestly, there weren't free agents at the time. So I, they need more credit for that because it would have been really easy to go offense first and put a guy out there like Luca and say, we'll fill in the blanks from there. You don't fill in defensive blanks in the NBA. You know, if there's a guy out there that can do it, he's more valuable than any 30-point player you can find. So Especially I, I in the playoffs. Especially yeah. in the playoffs in a seven-game yeah. series and you need a, that lockdown 
defender that is going to be able to uh, stand in the paint or mm-hmm. get out to the wing and make a block shot. You know, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it needs to be said more. The, the, the front office deserves that credit. It's not just me saying it either. Um, let's quickly move down. Just just some serious stuff. Uh, if we're talking about the playing tournaments, which I guess are not the postseason, right? We can't talk they about those playoffs yep. yet. Nope. Um, I mean, are, of these eight teams, let's just not even say Lakers. Let's stay off the Lakers because most people, especially now with the debacle that happened with Minnesota yesterday, most people think the Lakers are just going to roll through that. And, and get themselves at least into uh, you know the prime of the of the play-in championship. Give me the two teams who are coming out of this thing, Scott. That's all I care about. Are we talking west or east? Give me a, give me one of each. Hmm. I don't know. I think, I think the easy answer right now is Chicago and L.A. Right, the Lakers and the Bulls—they seem to be playing the best basketball right now. Uh, the Heat are going to be frisky. I assume you're thinking about that at least. Yeah, I'm not sold. I'm not sold on Atlanta. No, Toronto's been up and down for the no. most part. Chicago has been too, but I think if out of the four, I guess I. Yeah, I, I guess I trust Chicago more, but they—they're in a position they have to win two in a row to 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 get in. So I guess Miami winning one over Atlanta, I, I like that better from an odd standpoint than okay. Chicago necessarily having to win two to get in. So Heat um, Lakers then for you? Yeah. Yeah. Lakers are kind of a shoe in. I, I would think. Yeah, I would and the think. way they've been playing, they've been really good down the stretch as a whole, especially when everyone is is there. So, yeah, I'll go – Miami Lakers are the shoe-ins. Okay. Um, how far can this go? Are we going to see a playing team pro- progress into round one or round two, I should say? <laughs> I think, again, the way in clickbait, the way the Lakers are playing – they probably have the best chance of going deep. Uh, it, not deep. Let me rephrase that. Mm-hmm. Winning and getting into the next round. I, I don't – Miami maybe, but I think Boston is a stronger team than yeah. Miami hands down. So I think Boston probably wins that fairly easily. Whereas the Lakers, from a matchup standpoint with Memphis, it, it could be – that that's the difference maker where Steven Adams is not going to Steven Adams is pretty much out for the remainder of the season. The Lakers have LeBron, they have AD, you've got Hachimura, you've got, you've got more big men that can get in the paint. Whereas Memphis is missing their kind of linchpin of a big man. So I think if any of the teams has a chance, it's going to be the Lakers matching up against Memphis. Okay, fair enough. Uh, there's some doozy of, of a series here. There's no question about it. Uh, we'll probably wait a little bit here and, and attack those once the play-in is set. Um, any of your uh, your bets hit from the regular season? Yeah, I had some during the season that mm-hmm. came to fruition. Um, I had... my, Port- my Portland to win the West did not hit, Scott. Did not hit. <laughs> I told I, I told you to back out on that one. So I'm all in, baby. Let's do it. You should have listened to me on that one. Uh, let's for see. those that didn't pay attention, I did that because I thought Kevin Durant was going there. Obviously, that did not happen. <laughs> so a couple that I pull up here. I, I had Sabonis to win rebounds leader. Oh. I had nice. Joel Embiid points leader. Really? Mm-hmm. I had mid-season, I ended up having the Sacramento Kings to win the Pacific. I had, which wasn't a lot because the odds had dipped down Mm -hmm. quite a bit on that. But I had, uh, actually, I had two instances on that. I hit it on a higher value and then a lower value. And then that was, that looks like it's about it right now. Okay. That's that's not bad. 
That's not no. like a couple, a couple had, of individual props. Yeah, I got a couple uh, uh, for the championship. We'll see yep. how, how those translate, but um, not not too bad uh, from that standpoint. You know, it's, rebounds could be a crapshoot. Point, even the points leader could be a crapshoot depending on, you know, trades and that kind of stuff. But so I'm glad to have hit on a few of those. Okay. Last thing that we'll get out of here. Um, the I'm putting you on the spot, so bear with me. The one thing you didn't like about this, this NBA regular season is as a whole. Put me on the spot here. I haven't even thought you can, of that. You can factor in something that, that's maybe changing with the CBA if you want. Is there something that is fundamentally wrong with this league right now that stood out this year? You know, let, let me let me let me throw this at you. Do you think the load management stuff is is too far gone, or do you think that that normalized a little bit this year? Um, I think it was about on par for what it's been in the past. Mm-hmm. I think. <clears throat> Some of the changes in the upcoming CBA are going to try to mitigate some of that, but I think it try with the in-season tournament with the, you know, 65 games needed for MVP. I I looked, Giannis only had 63 games. So in in this, if that rule was in place, he wouldn't have qualified, but my guess is a dinged up knee here and there, he probably would have played to make sure he had that qualified. So I think some of those mitigation standpoints, um, I would have liked to see more trades earlier, but you know that happens every year. Uh, Outside of the Durant blockbuster, it was kind of a, a weird year for for transactions. It was real, in this well, it, it was yeah. Keith and I had talked about this quite a bit during the season, where we were shocked. We got into January and there weren't as many trades because of the whole Kyrie Durant whatever else situation. Things really. Uh, well, and on top of it, the West was so condensed all season that teams mm-hmm. didn't know where they were going to be within a, a week. So the, and this has obviously nothing to do f- with financial stuff, but you know, the, well, can the I fa- jump in? Cause there is something that we just discussed that is impacting that quite a bit. Do you think that the play in tournament should be readdressed? No, I don't think so. Because From that the- is what. That is heavily impacting teams' decision making throughout the season. It, it is one hundred percent now, and I I like it. Okay, I like that we get into late March, beginning of April, and teams are still operating. Look, look at Dallas. We from two weeks ago, Dallas was going for the play and then all of a sudden they decided, oh, we're going to shut down. We don't really care. We're not going to. We make need the to play talk in. about that. Yeah, we can do it another time if you want, but I, I they're going to get fined, right, Scott? They're going to get fined. You can't. You they? can't. You can't what, with build, what with what justification? Detrimental. You can't be building in load management qualifiers to the new CBA, but not but but allow that to happen at the same time. But they're being tagged like Kyrie. So it depends on how they're being tagged. And Keith and I had talked about this too. Of. I'm going to give Ryan Russillo all the credit on this one, Scott. He said it perfectly this morning. It isn't that they're doing it. It's that they're throwing it in our faces. It's, it's, it's how they're doing it. Everybody does it, right? I don't think Jokic, Jokic's calf is really as bad as they're leading on to, and they really do want to just sit him out for a couple of games here. There's nothing wrong with that. But they're wrapping it up in a, in a maybe a, a bit of a, an exaggerated injury. They blatantly, like two hours before game time on their own social media, their own PR Twitter account blatantly went out and said, these 11 guys are, are inactive for tonight. Yep. It's the manner in which they're packaging the, packaging okay. the gift. Yes. And the, that the, is finable in my opinion. The manner of that. Yes. But as far as tagging that it's a, a knee injury or a calf injury, I, teams are, you, you, you can be smart as far as how you're, Oh, my elbow hurts and you're going to sit. So from that standpoint, no, but from your standpoint of last minute, especially with the amount of, uh, revenue from DFS and gambling last minute, you know, people having to shuffle or shifting odds from that standpoint. Yeah. 
that's going to be interesting. I guess from a financial standpoint, the one thing that I was hoping the CBA was going to hmm. uh, address better was the whole veteran extension piece. And, and Keith and I talked about this last week where yeah. I think it's the one area of the CBA that they – they they dipped their toe in, but they didn't jump all the way in. And maybe in the next iteration, they'll go even deeper into this. But the fact that they only went up from 120% to 140% uh, isn't enough. Keith had a great uh, scenario, which he wishes would have happened of, okay, you can go to 140% for the veteran extension or you go to the max. There is no in-between so in instance, for, and I bring this up because of the whole Jalen Brown situation, mm-hmm. um, you know, if they were able to just offer him the max now and give him that max or the 140% was the maximum threshold, at least you're allowing to extend your superstar to that maximum amount if you wanted to go to that maximum amount early enough. Whereas, you know, we knew Jalen Brown wasn't going to accept that 120%. So I no. feel that from a financial standpoint, that could have adjust, that could have uh, more implications for more players from a, an extension standpoint. If they and just, just so we're more. clear, the, the, the reason that there's the back and forth with this is Jalen Brown wasn't super max qualified, right? If he was right. super max qualified, this all goes out the window. It's for the players that are, you know, above average, but not elite, elite, elite. Uh, or don't have the awards, which is right. again, I'm not, I'm not going to go down, get on that soapbox again. But uh, here's why I'll, we'll finish on this. I'll kind of round it off full circle. Here's why the play in tournament's not going away. The last three seasons, Golden State was a play in team, the Clippers were a play in team, and now the Lakers are a play in team. That's all that needs to be said. <laughs> yep. The league's not changing that. The league's not changing that. Okay, you've got those superstars that barely got in and only got in because of this one little amendment you've made. It's 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 here to stay. So the trade deadline may suffer because of it, um, and I think it will now that more teams are involved. But uh, it's here to stay. I, I I do think this league is unbelievably healthy, unbelievably oh, healthy. I even agree. if even if many of the superstars are having injury issues, which is something to monitor. You and I've talked about this quite a bit, you know, is this, is, is everything a little bit too much right now, including the salary? But, no, but that's, but, it's good from that standpoint, because then you get teams that come to the forefront the that, that wouldn't necessarily have been there. The Knicks, yeah. the, the, the Kings, how many people would have guessed we'd be talking about the Kings as much as we did this season. So it, it, it's good from that health standpoint. We really, you know, the, the, Tank for Victor conversation was a little bit in the beginning of the season, but it, it died Can off. Can you imagine and, if this was a quarterback? Can you imagine? It would have yeah. been every single day on Twitter, every day. You're right. It, it was it was half of what I thought it was going to be throughout this regular season. Half. Yeah, and it's going to ramp up now, obviously, because we're yeah. two months out. But, you know, in this back half of the season, it really <laughs> didn't come up. No, nope. nothing. No. And that's a testament to the league. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not sure they have the problems they think they have. I really don't. I think they're just uh, overanalyzing a few no, things I think and maybe this listening is, to so many people. <laughs> yeah, they, they filled in a lot of needs that we've been talking about over yeah. the last few years, in addition to adding some bells and whistles that the, the league has probably wanted, like the in-season tournament. But the fact that they kept pushing this back and they wanted to get it done and it there shows that zero contention, right? These two sides right. are on the same page. I mean, it's bonkers. Yep. That alone great. is just great. It really is. All right. Uh, enjoy the postseason. We'll talk uh, oh, some actual playoff bets, I think, soon. We'll get back into some of these series once they're finalized. And then we got to get into some of these offseason players a little bit. Uh, maybe I'll have you and Keith both on. Is Chris Middleton a trade candidate? A signing trade candidate? Milwaukee's a one seed without him. <laughs> Probably not. Make, I'm going to make that homework for you. Hey, l- let me add this while you're saying the free agent stuff. Keith, Keith's been doing a lot of work with the free oh, agent yeah. page because now we're into that mode. So if you go to the NBA free agents page, I've been he's been passing along all the you know little analysis blurbs. So if you go there, you click, modal pops mm. up, little 
nugget that he's been writing up about every candidate uh, that we have so far. We've been going in, we've been ranking them, giving them tags if they're an all-star or starter, rotation player. Um, so we've really beefed up the free agent page and uh, he's finishing off the last two groupings of uh, center and small uh, shooting guard um, that are left to go. So take a look at those. You can read all about the little blurbs that he's got on each player. Sounds great. Good stuff, man. All right. Thanks a lot.